Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. As a Christian, when you walk out into the world, you're called to be different. You're called to act differently than the rest of the world. You're called to speak differently than the rest of the world. You're called to walk differently in your life than the rest of the world. We're to be in the world, Jesus said, but not of the world. Sometimes... That's a challenge, isn't it? And yet, as the Holy Spirit lives within us, he guides us and directs us to react to things differently than we would if we were not saved believers in Jesus Christ. That was probably never reflected better than in the life of Stephen as he was being stoned As he was dying, he was never more like Jesus than he was at that moment. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. Um, I noticed that the uh, second hymn we sang, To God Be the Glory, was uh, composed by Fanny Crosby. And uh, I love Fanny Crosby. And uh, I believe that she was from Cincinnati or lived in Cincinnati. And I think she had some connection to Mount Auburn Baptist Church, that she went there or something. I'd have to go back and... It's all right. Is it all right? And um, and she was born blind, and uh, I mean to write a song like that, you know, when you've been born blind, and you might be thinking, why did God do that to me, you know? But she had this wonderful heart for the Lord, and she composed many, many, I don't thousands of hymns. Several of which are iconic hymns, you know, of the church, like that one. But one thing I read about her that I thought, oh my goodness, how amazing a person she must have been. Uh, she we had an interview one time, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think they were asked about what it was, how she felt about being blind, and she said, you know what, actually, I think it's a blessing that I, I'm actually kind of glad that I was born blind because, because I have been born blind, the first face I'll see oh is the face of Jesus, my, my Savior. I know, it makes me tear up even now uh, to think of that kind of outlook on life. I mean, we're going to talk about it here in a minute in our lesson. I don't get it too soon, but uh, the difference between living life with the Holy Spirit filling your heart versus living life without the Holy Spirit is just, there's such a distinct difference that only a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit can, who's been born blind can, can have that kind of outlook on life and love for the Lord. I mean, just that's the only way it can happen. And there's just such a difference, and we're going to see it in Stephen and his situation, but it's true for all of us in life because we, as believers with the Holy Spirit living within us, we 
see things differently, we live life differently, we react differently, we act differently, we respond differently, and hopefully all of that in a way that brings people to, to Christ. I, I've always said that, you know, um, I mean, for people who do this uh, for whatever reason, but I, uh, my belief is you can't bring people to Christ by beating them over the head with your Bible. That doesn't work. You bring people to Christ by loving them to Christ. You love them to Christ. You love them and you show a love and you act and you have a life of love that says, I, I want what you have. I, I want to be like you are. How, how can I have the kind of life and outlook on life that you have? What is it that makes you different? And, and we don't do that by berating people and beating people over the head with our Bibles and making them feel terrible. We, we do that by loving them and helping them to see the difference that we have in our lives. So, Okay, so all that's prelude. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Who would like to pray? Stan, can I ask you to open today with prayer? Would you? Pleasant Heavenly Father, um, you're so um, blessed to be able to, to worship and your house to be able to gather together in a country that still allows us the freedom to do that. And I pray, Lord, that it will ever be so. Um, the, this day is um, um, special. It's, it's your day, and this is your place. And we thank you for Greg and his teaching. We pray the Holy Spirit that you Praise be with him and yes. each of us as we as we open your your word today. Yes, Lord. Um, and that, Pray for each of us as we go to the service later. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanted to uh, start today with um, this little short devotional that um, I thought uh, really helps to illuminate a little bit about kind of what Stephen was up against here and also uh, shows Jesus in a light as a preacher. Uh, sometimes, you know, because we see Jesus as a healer and a miracle worker and, uh, you know, of course, uh, going to the cross and, and the resurrection, all of that crucifixion and resurrection, sometimes we forget that he was also a dynamite teacher and preacher as well. And so this devotional kind of brings that out. I thought it was an interesting uh, concept here. So uh, the passage that they're referring to at the beginning is Luke 4, 31 to 32. It says, and Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. It says, in Jesus' day, authority was limited to a select few. The Jews had a religious system that not only governed their places of worship, it also determined the laws of the land politically, culturally, and socially. Religious leaders had authority to tell everyone else how to live because they were the ruling class of Israel. As high priests tasked with interpreting the law of Moses, they also determined what constituted crimes and often carried out punishments, sometimes in the middle of the street. So that's where, that's what Stephen is up against, right? With the Sanhedrin and these religious leaders because they were tasked with interpreting the laws of Moses. They also determined what constituted crimes and often carried out punishments. And so this is who uh, Stephen is facing in this uh, chapter 7 that we're talking about. It says, no trial or appeal to a higher court was given because they ran the show. So you can imagine how off-putting it was when a carpenter's son turned their well-oiled governing machine on its ear and the people loved him to boot. Stepping into such a rigid system, it wouldn't take long for Jesus to make a name for himself. When the sun was setting, all those with various diseases were brought to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. No doubt the healing thing drew crowds of people to Jesus. But the Bible repeatedly says they were also in awe of the authoritative way he spoke, and that people came from far and wide to hear him. What must a person sound like to solicit awe? He speaks with authority as such a specific observation, yet people made it repeatedly. And spoiler alert, the way he spoke is what got him killed. The religious rulers were terrified of losing their power, and only someone with authority greater than their own could threaten it. Luke 20 records one such confrontation. 
One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, same group we're talking about here, tell us by what authority do you, uh, you do these things, and who is it that gave you this authority? The Jews tried to understand where the authority that oozed out of Jesus came from. Who granted it? Who taught you how to speak this way? What entitles you to come onto our turf and teach our people? His answer was simple, but would seal his fate. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there it was. The claim that made both the way Jesus spoke and the reaction he received makes sense. I am was the name God gave himself when he sent Moses to free the Israelites from Egypt. And the way he continually referred to himself in the book of Isaiah and his listeners were well versed in the scripture he referenced. Simply put, Jesus spoke by his own authority. Of course, he was never at a loss for how to respond to questions or how to interpret the law. He wrote it. Of course, he didn't fear the Romans or other govern- or any other governing body. Empires rose and fell by his word. The authority with which he spoke was his own. He is the one who whispered the world into existence, who holds planets in orbit and mountains in their place, who commands tides to rise and orchards to bloom, who created things like E minor and puppies, who rose from the dead and will all give account to him one day. So yeah, his preaching was worth the trip. (laughs) So I just thought that was a great kind of insight into one, the people that um, Stephen was facing, same people that Jesus faced and and also just to see Jesus as this wonderful uh, teacher which and preacher, which he obviously was. So, yeah, today we're going into, again, uh, chapter 7. I think we'll finish it this week or next. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to remind you, because we're, we're looking at this last, we're starting at verse, I mean, chapter 7 of Acts, verse 54. So, uh, remember that we were looking at it uh, based on what uh, John MacArthur gave us in his introduction to this same uh, passage um, in his commentary. He said there's four different ways to look at this. It says, just this last paragraph, a stark contrast between Stephen and his murderers weaves its way through this brief passage. So extreme is the contrast that it can be said to symbolize the contrast between heaven and hell. That contrast may be viewed from four angles. It is the contrast between being filled with anger and being filled with the spirit, between spiritual blindness and spiritual sight, between death and life, and between hate and love. So we're going to look at that this passage from those four angles. Filled with the Holy Spirit versus filled with anger. Filled with uh, uh, having spiritual blindness versus having a spiritual uh, sight. Uh, uh, hate and love and um, death and life. So those are the four uh, kind of lenses through which we're going to look at this passage today. So if you have it there, let's pull it out. Uh, Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 54. So this is after, we pick up here after Stephen has completed and finished, concluded his argument and his defense before the Sanhedrin as to why he's not guilty and why they are. They are guilty of the very thing that they accused him of being guilty of. Not not me, he says, but you. I'm not the blasphemer. You are the blasphemer. So when he's finished with saying that then, verse 54 uh, is the reaction of uh, what they did. And this first sentence is being filled with anger, being filled with anger. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. And we said how this is, this, this word furious is the same word that was used when they reacted to Peter, when he was speaking to them. Uh, and they, and it's the kind of, the, what they wanted to do with Peter was kill him. Uh, and so the same thing here with Stephen. They are so furious, they want to kill him. They gnash their teeth at him. We say, said last week that that's, that's the anger. The gnash of their teeth is just, uh, uh, just this, this volatility, this, this anger, this violence that they wanted uh, to uh, uh, you know, put onto Stephen, that they wanted to uh, just uh, punish him 
for what he was saying in the worst way. And, um, and, and so this is the, if you're, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, right, this is the kind of anger that can overtake your life sometimes. We talked about that a lot last week, how uh, we react differently as Christians when we have the Holy Spirit within us, that we, we don't get angry uh, to this extent. Uh, but this is being filled with anger versus being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference uh, with the way we react to things that uh, make us angry. But you know, so I'm not saying we can't ever get angry at things. We do get angry, but we don't. We don't take it to the point to where we're furious, to where we just want to kill someone. You know that we don't want. We shouldn't ever feel the be pushed in our fury and anger to the place where we want revenge. That's what this is. They want revenge for the things that Stephen was saying. So and as believers filled with the Holy Spirit, we get angry, we're a human nature, but never to the point to where we want to hurt someone or seek revenge on someone. And so that's the difference. And, and, and that's what uh, Luke is saying here and what uh, uh, John MacArthur is saying. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They just wanted to, to kill him. They wanted revenge on him. They wanted to hurt him. And that is being filled with anger. But now look at the, look at the difference. But Stephen, full of what? The Holy Spirit. We talked last week how my translation left a word out of there. It should be being full of the Holy Spirit, that this is the way Stephen always was. He was known as being a man who was full of the Holy It didn't just happen here. He was always filled with the Holy Spirit. Being, being filled with the Holy Spirit means he was already filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when this happened, he was still filled with the Holy Spirit, and he reacted as a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit acts and reacts. So this is the difference. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, he looked up, and the, the idea there is he intently looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So being filled with anger, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it says he looked up to heaven. Now, did he, did he see something and then look up to heaven? Or did he look up to heaven because what was happening to him? Right? There's a difference, isn't there? Yeah. And I think he looked up to heaven because what was happening to him, right? This is happening to him. He knows that his time is short here. He knows what's the handwriting is on the wall. And and being threatened, at this point they haven't they haven't grabbed hold of him yet, but he is certainly feeling threatened. He's feeling endangered. He knows he's in a tough spot. He knows he has bad circumstances. And what does he do as being filled with the Holy Spirit? He looks to heaven. He looks up to heaven. And so that's, that, again, for us, right? When, when we are experiencing difficulties or threats or hard times or whatever it might be that puts us in a similar situation that Stephen is in where we just feel, uh, you know, like maybe our lives even are in the balance uh, whether it be physically in the balance or emotionally or mentally or, or whatever, you know, we're feeling threatened. We're feeling that circumstances are bad and times are difficult. The first thing we should do is look up to <laughs> look up to heaven, because as Stephen saw Christ and saw the glory of God, you know, we, although not like he did literally, but we also can see God, right? We can ask and we can ask God to help us to see him. You know, sometimes my prayer is, when I go through a difficult time, is, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but I know you're in control, and I know you have something for me to learn from it. So help me to learn whatever it is you want to teach me through this. Quickly. And help it to end. And help, and, 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 no, and help it to end soon. Help it to end soon. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's what we need to do. Just like we, you as Holy Spirit-filled people. We don't get angry with God. People who don't have, when bad things happen to people who aren't saved, they get angry with God. When bad things happen to us as, as Holy Spirit-filled people, we look to God for help and direction and strength and comfort. 
And so it's a totally different way, isn't it, of reacting to things. So, so that's, that's number one. Yeah, Chuck? For those of you that haven't seen Pastor Scott's teaching on that a couple of Wednesday nights ago, when bad things happen to good people or when good things happen to bad people, you need to watch it. It's outstanding. Yeah, you told me about that. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet, but I'm anxious to do so because you know that's something as pastors you get asked a lot, and so you have to have an answer to that, which we don't have time to go into that today, but I'll be anxious to see what Scott says because that is an important question to be able to answer for sure. Okay, so let's go on then to verse uh, 56. Stephen says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man uh, standing at the right hand of God. So here we have spiritual sight. This is the second one, spiritual sight versus spiritual blindness that MacArthur is talking about. So here we have spiritual sight. When he looks up, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, obviously Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. He has spiritual sight to be able to see this as a believer. And he actually does literally see this, see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And we said, this really sealed his fate, right? Because this is whom Jesus referred to himself as being, the Son of Man. When he was before the Sanhedrin, defending himself when he was said, you know, when he was put on the spot, like, you know, you have to tell us who you are and are you, you know, the Messiah? And his response was basically, yes, and you will see the Son of Man, referring to himself, sit, sitting at the right hand of God. And so they, the Sanhedrin, decided based on that statement that Jesus was a blasphemer and needed to die. And so, he, and so later Peter described Jesus in the same way, and, but Gamaliel got him off, right? And now here Stephen is saying the exact same thing. I see Jesus, who was who's talking about, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So they knew exactly what he was talking about here. And if they decided because of that statement that Jesus had to be killed saying, this is me and I will be there, standing at the right hand, sitting at the right hand of God at some in the future, if they killed him because he said this is going to happen, then they certainly had to kill Stephen for saying, it has happened, right? Yeah, Jesus said it's going to happen. Guess what? It has happened, and I'm looking at him right now. We talked about, Chuck brought out last week about how, you know, one says, Jesus said, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God. And here, uh, Stephen says, I see him standing at the right hand of God. And we said, yeah, because he's getting ready to welcome Stephen, and he's getting ready to give him a big hug when he when he comes uh, into, into heaven. And uh, we all agreed that having a heavenly hug Kind of look forward to that someday, getting that heavenly hug when we move into the presence of Christ. So, so there is spiritual sight. Well, let's see spiritual blindness, right? Spiritual blindness is the next verse, verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. Ah, nah, 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 nah. I don't want to hear. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, how childish can you be, right? My kids used to do that when I was telling them to clean up their rooms or whatever. No, 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 don't want to hear it. But this is spiritual blindness. They covered their ears, and uh, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. We talked about that rush is the same way the pigs rushed down that uh, cliff when uh, Jesus put the demons into them. That kind of rushing out of control, that demonic uh you know, just indwelt uh, with Satan and just out of control, rushing. That's the same way they rushed at Stephen. So this is spiritual blindness. At this, they covered their ears. I don't want to hear it. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. This is spiritual blindness. And the thing is, these two go together. Anger, being filled with anger, and spiritual blindness, they, they go together. Because if you're going to be angry, you're spiritually blind. You can't have spiritual sight and be angry. You can't, you can't carry a grudge and be completely open to 
hearing God speak to you. If you carry anger in your heart at all, you are, if not completely spiritually blind, you're at least partially spiritually blind because anger is keeping you from having spiritual sight the way that God wants you to have spiritual sight. You have to let go of anger because anger keeps you blind spiritually. And so these people, because they were so angry, they were spiritually blind that they covered their ears. They covered their ears. Don't want to hear. You see, anger is a wall that separates you from having spiritual sight. And I think today a lot of people are covering their ears. I think people don't want to hear about Jesus. If they, if they want to hear about him, they don't want to hear that he saves them, that they need to take him as their savior, that he'll forgive their sins, that he'll open the doors of eternal life in heaven to them, that they might consider him as, oh, no, a great teacher, or a wonderful man, a prophet, or whatever. But they cover their ears. They don't want to hear any more than that. And sometimes if, if you insist on, on Jesus as being Messiah and Savior, they will get angry, won't they? And the same thing happens, you know, when they don't want to hear that the Bible says, this is right, always, and this is wrong, always, and this is good, always, and this is bad, always. And they say, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They don't, and if you, if you insist that, sorry, you're wrong, because the Bible says this is right and that's wrong, and, and what you're saying is not right, according to what the Bible says, they, they'll get angry. They'll get angry. So the two go together, spiritual anger, I mean, uh, to be filled with anger and to have spiritual blindness go together. And we see that right here in the way this is happening. And the, and the distinction between Stephen and, and them is so clear here. So let's go on. Verse uh, 58. So what happened is they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So... That was the end of the trial, just like we saw in the beginning of uh, class A when I read that. There are the judge, the jury, and the executioner uh, from start to finish. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, there was. As a matter of fact, there's some question as to whether or not this was done according to the way stoning was supposed to be done, according to the way that the Old Testament says to do it, uh, or whether they were just in such a fury and anger that they just went out and just started throwing rocks at him. But I think if we really look closely at this, we can determine which one it is. And I think it was that they did follow what the Bible says, what the Old Testament says about stoning. So look at that just for a minute. So it says... Um, that they dragged him out of the city. So that's the number one thing. You have to stone someone outside of the camp, outside of the city. You can't do it where people are living and having you know, their lives. It has to be outside of that area. So that they did, okay? And then it says, meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Luke brings out the fact that there were witnesses, specific people who were identified as witnesses to what they accused Stephen of, which was blasphemy. And remember at the very beginning of chapter six, we said that these people were lying, that they were convinced to lie and that they knew they were lying. Uh, but these were the witnesses, and, and, and witnesses are important to stoning because of two things. Witnesses have to put their hands on the accused and say, yes, I heard it, I saw it, I was a witness to it. And also, the witnesses have to throw the first stones. So let's go back and look at that just real quick. Let's first go to Leviticus 24. Leviticus 24, 
And this, by the way, is the death part. We said death and life. So now we switched to the death and life lens. And this is the death part of this passage. So Leviticus 24, I'll just start at verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. There's number one, outside the camp. You can't do it inside where people are living, having their lives. Take him outside the camp. So they did this to Stephen. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and witness that, you know, I saw this, and the entire and the entire entire assembly is to stone him. So that's that part of it. Now go over to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. It's after Leviticus. And uh, verse 6, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. 17, 6, it says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, so there had to be at least two or three people lying about it, uh, this case was Stephen. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Verse 7, the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death, and then the hands of all the people. So they the wit, so they dragged Stephen outside the city, which is the first thing they had to do. Then they had to have witnesses, which they obviously did, because it says the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Luke says there were witnesses there. They, and we just have to assume we. Luke doesn't have to give us all the gory details because we he assumes that people understand, you know, back in the day. Well, if they we know what witnesses do, you know, so they didn't have to tell us, but we, you know, we've kind of forgotten today. But so we know that the witnesses must have gone and put their hands on Stephen's head and said, yes, I heard this. I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, this guy is going to die based on your lie. And you still are so furious and angry that you don't care. You're going to put your hand and lie and say, this person said this when he didn't, knowing that he's going to be stoned and going to die because of it. And yet they still did. And here's, it was interesting. It says they left their clothes. And that just means it's an outer garment, like a jacket, like an outer garment. They left their outer garment at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why would the witnesses leave their outer garment with Saul before they go to do what they are going to do, these witnesses? Well, they don't want any blood on them. <laughs> That's one possibility. That's a possibility. Well, you've got to throw a lot of stones if you're going to kill someone. That's a lot of energy. I think they said, I can throw a stone a whole lot better if I don't have my coat on. You know, they were saying, I'm going to have to throw a stone here and I'm going to throw to kill Stephen and I can throw a stone better without my without my outer cloak on. So I think if we take these three things out of the camp, witnesses, knowing what witnesses do, and they laid their cloaks down, because why? They wanted to throw stones as effectively and as hard as they could possibly throw them, and they could do it better without their outer cloaks on. I think that just came to me another point might be the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that Paul was there. Definitely. That is definitely, it's important for us to know Paul was there. Paul was an important person. He is a very important person. Right. And he's even important here, because if you remember, uh, let's go back just a sec to ver uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 9 of Acts, of Acts, chapter 6, verse 9 of Acts, 6, 9. It says, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, uh, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Paul was from Tarsus. Tarsus is in Cilicia. So it says... These men began to argue with Stephen. So I think Paul was one of these people who argued with Stephen. I think he was one of the leaders of the opposition to Stephen. It says, these men, all, and, and Paul was from Tarsus, he's from Cilicia. Uh, so I think, and, and Paul was a well-educated person. He was articulate, you get the feeling. I mean, the way he wrote his letters, you know he's articulate. He's smart. And so I think he opposed Stephen. I think he, it doesn't say it, but I think he did. I think we read between the lines and, and see that. And then verse 10, but they, including Paul, 
could not stand up against Stephen's wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So Stephen defeated Paul in a debate. Paul ain't going to like that, right? He's not going to like that. And then the next verse, uh, verse 11, then they, who are they? They, the people who argued with Stephen, who lost in their debate, those guys secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against God. They secretly persuaded. They told him to lie. So Paul, I think, was one of the ones who convinced these witnesses to lie. He argued against Stephen. He lost the debate. He lost the argument. He's angry about it. He wants to get even. And he convinces these witnesses to lie. I mean, he among others, not he alone, but he, I think he was one of the people who convinced these people to lie about Stephen. And now we have it kind of, in my mind, confirmed, because here now, when the rubber meets the road and we're going to start throwing these stones, who is there at the very front? Who has a front row seat? Paul. Saul. Saul. Paul. Saul. And he is taking, let me take, you throw your stone, let me have your coat so you can throw your, really throw, really, you know, and we learn later, as he says himself, later in his writings, his letters, that he endorsed what was going on. He was all for it. But he wasn't one of the witnesses. He was not one of the witnesses. Because he convinced someone else. That's where you you really get the impression he was the ringleader. Yes. He's getting all these other people to do it. He didn't want to be he, he was getting other people to do his dirty work. Yeah, he was being political. He was high up. And, yeah. 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 I can't blame me because I'm a big step. Well, and maybe that's why he's connected to the witnesses. Because if he was the one who said to these guys, lie, and now they have to go put their hands on uh, Stephen and throw the first stones, he wouldn't he be the natural one to take him by the side and say, I'll hold your I'll hold your coats for you while you do it. Because he already he already had a relationship with them before. They were buddy buddy. He and these witnesses were buddy buddy. He planned it with them beforehand and he was there to help them at the at the end. That's my opinion. All those things that you pointed out here, probably when he was saved on Damascus Road, when Jesus said, Why do you continually kick against the what I'm telling you and what you're hearing. In other words, he this is what led up to him being ready for him to be converted. The Holy no. Spirit was working on him in each of these cases. No question about it. So the interesting thing about Saul is you have to know he was there for it all. He was okay with it all. He said, yes. He w- When he talks about someone being furious, he was furious. When gnashing their teeth, he was gnashing their teeth. He was a part of all of this from the beginning. And, that, and, and there's just no way to, to see it any other way. Okay, so that's the death part. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 59. While they were stoning him, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the life part. So we have the death part of the stoning and the death part of Saul being the death part, you know, encouraging this to happen helping it to happen, having a front row seat, that's the death part of it. But the life part of it is what is what Stephen says here. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm not, I'm going, my physical body's going to die, but my life doesn't end. This is the life part, the death and the life. You see, Paul, Saul and these men thought they were going to end Stephen's life. And they wanted to cause death to him. But Stephen says, I ain't dying. I'm just changing. Remember the escalator idea? I'm just changing floors. <laughs> so from life to life. So death, yeah, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, death is a terrible thing. But when we're saved and we know our future's secured and guaranteed, it's life to life and so that's the life part of it and is it interesting how let me ask this how so so he goes he says jesus received my spirit which that sounds very familiar doesn't it who else said that so similar jesus, jesus right 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The only difference is that Jesus said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And Stephen says, Jesus, Lord Jesus, into your hand I uh, uh, Jesus, receive my spirit. Which basically just goes to, again, is proof for for the status of Jesus. You know, if, if the Father can receive uh, uh, someone into eternal life, and, and, and here Jesus can also, then the, the equality of Jesus and God the Father, God the Son, their quality in heaven. One isn't above the other. They're equal, co-equal. Um, and, you know, we are saved uh, through Christ, and we're going to go see Christ, and it's Jesus who receives our spirit when we go, because he is God, you know, basically. So that's the life part of it. So let's let's go. Maybe we'll get through this. Okay, verse um, 59. Um, so it says, so similar to Jesus. Then verse 60. Then he fell on his knees uh, <clears throat> and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? Jesus, Jesus did the same thing, right? So I understand that Jesus can say this, but how can Stephen say it? He was full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes you love, and this gets into the love and hate part, too. Uh, The love and hate part. This is the the fourth thing, the love and hate. Sometimes it's easy to love someone. Sometimes it ain't so easy. It's just, just the way it is. So Jesus can say, Father, forgive them for they know what they do, because Jesus loves them. Jesus, even what was happening, even what they were doing, he created them, they were his children, he loved them. It was a love of the heart. I don't think Stephen loved these people the way Jesus loved the people who were crucifying him. I don't think Stephen loved those people who were stoning him the way Jesus loved those people. But I think Jesus loved, I mean, I think Stephen loved Jesus. And because Stephen loved Jesus and Jesus loved these people, then Stephen loved these people through Jesus. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he didn't love them naturally, but he loved them supernaturally. He loved them spiritually. Because when you love Jesus, you love other people, even when they're hard to love, right? Anybody can love someone who's easy to love, but we as Christians are called to love people who aren't easy to love. It's not easy to love people who are stoning you. But if you love Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit and you know Jesus loves these people, then you, it's a, you're in your will, you love them. You will yourself to love them. And then you love them. So you love people who are easy to love with your heart and you love people who aren't easy to love with your will. Because you know Jesus loves them. And you know, you are called to love them too. And so, did Stephen, so they, this was the love part, and they both loved the people. One, Jesus, because he really loved them. And Stephen, because he loved Jesus, and through Jesus, he, and so, you know, what I say a lot of times, I pray for your, for this class is, Jesus, help us to love you, and through you, love one another. Right? Help us to love you and through you love one another. Yeah, we're all so lovable. Because <laughs> so, some of you people may not be too easy to love. I'm saying right now, but no. So, but that's 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 the way that's the way that is. So let's find the hate part of it then. And he fell asleep. He died, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's the hate part. He hated Stephen. He gave approval to his death because he wanted Stephen to die, because he was angry, he was upset, and he hated Stephen. He hated him. And I think that, again, secures. When you say that he gave his approval, Saul is presented here as being involved. And that's why I think he was involved from the very beginning, not just at the very end, because... He wanted Stephen to die. 
So, today. Uh, yes, let's, let's go with that because we have just enough time to wrap this up today. <clears throat> oh, one thing I want to say because I have this written down, I forgot it. Uh, William Barclay says this about Stephen and this love part. He says, to Stephen, when it says that he fell asleep at the, when he died, it says, to Stephen came the peace which comes to the man who has done the right thing even if the right thing kills him. Isn't that cool? Oh, that was so cool. So, okay. So, let's just quickly go through this last, last, uh, uh, last part, the very first part of chapter eight. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That same day, so what started in the Sanhedrin has snowballed into the whole city of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Sounds like a bad thing. Actually, it was a good thing. This is actually what Jesus said would happen, remember? In Acts chapter 1, we'll go back to it now. We don't have time, but Jesus said, you will witness to me in all of Judea and throughout Samaria. And they wouldn't have done that without persecution. They would have stayed right there in comfy little Jerusalem. But because of persecution, they were scattered and forced out into Judea and Samaria, which basically fulfilled what Jesus said they were supposed to do. Okay, so that's actually a good thing, even though it seems like a bad thing. So sometimes that can happen too in life, right? So verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply. They had that means that mourned deeply, had great lamentation for him. They were beating their breasts. They were so sad to lose him. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Who does that sound like? Who buried? Who else was buried by godly men? Jesus, Jesus right? And they also mourned deeply, had great lamentation for him too, right? Now I don't know if it's true. I don't I don't know, but wouldn't it be cool? I mean, really cool if Stephen was also buried by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, they were still there. And like, you know, uh, that they were uh, godly men. Well, they were certainly godly men, and they buried Jesus. So it wouldn't be cool if they also buried Stephen. I don't know, but I just like to think of it that way. Okay, so then uh, verse 3. And this is, this is the, 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 part, the important part. But Saul began to destroy the church, destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them into prison. Now, this word destroy is important. The, the idea is that he made havoc. He made havoc with the church. The, the literal idea is that of a wild boar ravaging a vineyard. Okay? That is what destroy means. It's like a wild boar ravaging a, a body. This, it's... it's it's in, in another connotation is brutal cruelty. Brutal cruelty. This is Saul. This is what he did to persecute believers. And when it says that he dragged off men and women, the idea of dragging there. See, before they dragged Stephen out, that word drag in Greek, dragging, is a different kind of drag. That just means, you know, they kind of carried him out there. This word for dragging is a different Greek word, and this means violently. The, he violently, with, with anger and violence, he dragged them into prison. He made havoc. It was like, it was like a wild boar ravaging a vineyard. You know, out of control, this guy was. So if you, and we'll end on this, if you had gone back, if you could go back to this time, and you would say to people who were living there, who is the one person who you would say would never become a believer in Jesus? Name one person. They wouldn't say Annas. They wouldn't say Caiaphas. They wouldn't say Pilate. They would say Saul. He would never, ever become a believer in Jesus. And you know what that means? It means if even Saul can be saved by Christ, anybody can be saved by Christ. It's a great encouragement to us to know how bad Saul was, to know how God can transform a life and that awful, terrible, awful, miserable, making havoc of God's people, dragging them off, that person can become not only a believer, but someone who goes out and 
you know, saves the world <laughs> with, you know, anointed by the Lord to do that, called by God to do that. And I wanted to end with with this um, because this this sums it up. This was how um, we started with MacArthur. Let's end with MacArthur. This is how MacArthur closes this up. I think it, and it points out some of what Chuck was just saying here. So MacArthur ends this. And he, he summarizes it this way, this passage. Luke closes his account of Stephen's life with a very important footnote. He reminds us again of Saul's presence, noting that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. By his own confession, Saul was the chief of sinners with murderous intent toward all believers in Jesus Christ. That murderous hate was evidence here. As already noted, Stephen's bold preaching and especially his calm courage and forgiving love in the face of death profoundly affected Saul, as his later testimony in Acts 22 acknowledges. From Stephen's influence came Paul, and from death-dealing Saul, God made Paul, whose life-bringing gospel penetrated the entire Roman world, forever altering the course of history. As Augustine put it, if Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have Paul. Both in life and death, Stephen was so much like his Lord. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, so was Stephen. Jesus was full of grace, so was Stephen. Jesus boldly confronted the religious establishment of his day, so did Stephen. Jesus was convicted by lying witnesses, so was Stephen. Jesus had a mock trial, so did Stephen. Jesus was executed, though innocent of any crime, so was Stephen. Both were accused of blasphemy, both died outside the city and were buried by sympathizers, and as already noted, both prayed for the salvation of their executioners. Was there ever a man more like Jesus? That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.